Good morning. Um, typically, I like to preach in series of sermons. Those of you who come here regularly, you know that. Um, I, think it's, I think it's the best way that, I, that I'm aware of in order to preach sermons, where each sermon is kind of connected to the one from the week before or the one that comes after it. Um, I think that in understanding a topic, that's one of the best ways to do it, to talk about the topic multiple weeks in a row, maybe six weeks in a row, eight weeks in a row, from a different angle every week. And by the time the eight weeks is done, you really understand it quite a bit better. Um, also, if you want to learn a whole book of the Bible, it seems to me that's the only way that you could do it. You couldn't learn a book like the book of Proverbs or the book of Acts, just having like a sermon on it, right? You'd really have to teach a portion of it and then pick up where you left off the next week and then pick up where you left off the next week. And so that's why we do um, what we do here normally when we preach. However, sometimes we find ourselves um, in between two series, like we do today. And when that happens, I ask myself sometimes, like, what is it? that you'd like to tell the people that doesn't require multiple weeks? Like, is there any message? Is there anything you'd like to give to the people? And you don't need to say it seven times, right? It's just something that you need to tell the people one time. And so today is one of those times. Uh, this morning, I want to talk with you about two issues that have the potential to threaten Christian unity. And so um, for those of you that like charts, this is, this is a Sunday for you, okay? I got some charts. Um, and so I want to talk about two categories of like situations you may find yourself in. Um, category number one is when others have something that you don't. So sometimes you will find yourself in a situation where other people have something that you don't, and I believe that, that it doesn't have to cause a problem, but that could threaten Christian unity if it's not handled right. And then category number two is when you have something that others don't, right? There's something that you possess, they don't have it, and I believe that if that is not handled right, that could threaten um, Christian unity. And the way that I have seen this happen, um, when it comes to when others have something you don't, the thing that I've seen that has happened um, a lot of times is there, it brings about jealousy or insecurity. That when somebody has something you don't, you are jealous because of the thing that they have and then insecure, why don't I, why don't I have that thing? So let me give you some examples of this. Let's say that you are a single person, right? And you would like to be married. And you have other friends that are single and they would also like to be married. And then one of those people gets married, and you go, oh, that's so good, I'm happy for you, right? And then another one, a few months later, gets engaged and then married, and you say, oh, I'm so happy for you. And then another one gets married, and you go, oh, I'm so happy for you. And then the fourth one, you go, I'm so happy. And then if, yeah, by, there's a point where you're like, if I get asked to be a bridesmaid for, for a fifth time in this year, I'm going to punch someone, <laughs> right? And, and so the thing is, it's, you're looking at, at others who have something that you don't, and it, it doesn't have to, but it can lead to jealousy. I want the thing that they have, and now I kind of hate her. And insecurity, why don't I have what she has? It doesn't just have to be that. It could be other things. It could be money. Let's make up another example. Let's say that you, um, let's say you and your best friend went to the same high school together. Okay, you graduated from the same high school. You're both 18. And let's go ahead and make you smart for this. Let's say you were 10th in your class, okay? So you graduated 10th in your class, and your best friend graduated, let's make him dumber than you, your best friend graduated like 50th in your class, okay? That's the two spots you had, and so there you are. And then imagine 10 years goes by, okay? And he moves off to some other city, and you kind of lose contact, but then uh, when t after about 10 years, you're both 28 years old, and you meet back up and kind of have a reunion and compare notes as to what life is like now. And as you're talking with him, you figure out that he makes way more money than you. I don't know if any of you had this happen to you, but sometimes this happens to people, right? You meet up with this person, you go, whoa, this person's making, in fact, I think I figured out this person makes double the amount of money I make. 
right? And so what happens is you're realizing uh, someone else has something you don't. And there becomes this jealousy, like I'm frustrated this person, I can't believe they make more than me, and then insecure, what's wrong with me, right? This person makes more money than I do, and I mean, I'm sure they work hard, but I work hard too. And I know he's not smarter than me, right? I was 10th in my class, he was 50th in the class, I know he's not smarter, why does he make more money than me? And I, I'm insecure about that. Does that happen? Yeah. Now, let's talk about the other category, when you have something that others don't. And I think one of the things that can happen when you have something others don't, it could be called projection or judgmentalism. And what I mean by that, when I say projection, I mean you have something other people don't, but you are projecting onto them as if they have the thing that you have, and then you're judging them because they're not doing the thing that you would do in the situation you were in with if you had it, right? But they don't have what you have. They're in a different situation, but you're judging them as if they're like you. Have you seen this? So let's, here, I'll pick a money example because that's easy to do. Let's imagine you're at a like a fundraising dinner for a nonprofit organization, okay? This is like one of those galas where they come and they present all the stuff that the nonprofit organization does and you're sitting there eating chicken cordon bleu or whatever it is. They do a lot of chicken cordon bleu with those things. Um, and so there you are and you eat it and you're watching and, and by the end, you are touched, right? You go like, whoa, this is a very important cause. Like we need to give money. And so you get to the part where they're asking you to write a check or they're asking you to fill out your credit card number on the little sheet or whatever it is. And so you go to do it, and you, you, you have heard it, and you go, I, I, we need to do something about this issue. And so you write down $1,000. I'm going to give $1,000 because these people need it. And then you peek at the person that's sitting next to you, their sheet, okay? Which you're not supposed to do. But I think people do it, okay? And so, so you peek at their sheet, and you see that that guy writes down $100. And then what happens? You go, I did not even know that I was sitting next to a stingy jerk the whole meal. What's his problem? Why would he give $100? Was he not listening to the presentation? These people are doing a really good thing. And what could be happening is, it may be that you have something that others don't, and you are projecting onto that person your budget. You don't know their salary. You don't know their you know, medical bills. You don't know their student loans. But you are projecting on them your budget and then judging them for it. Doesn't that happen? Now, it doesn't have to be with money. It could be a different situation. You could have... You could be hearing about or, or watching a situation with one of your friends and how they are dealing with their parents. And they're explaining, I did this, and then this happened, and this is what I think I'm going to do. And you're sitting there going, mm -mm, that's not the right way to handle it, okay? Well, I can't even believe you'd do that, okay? And, and, and it may be that what you're projecting onto them is a different situation. You're sitting there, and there they are, and they're going, well, this is what, I'm, this is what we've done so far. And you're sitting there going, like, that's not how I'd handle it. If it were my mom, that's not what I would do. If it were my dad... Like, I would go in there and put down a boundary, and I would explain, like, yeah, I know, I know they're your grandkids, but they're my kids, and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's what I'd say. And I don't understand why she's not doing that, but it could be this. You're projecting onto that person, right? You're going, if it were my dad, but it's not your dad, right? You're saying you, you, have, you have a relationship with your dad that's different than they do, right? And so you're going, well, if it were my mom, I would do this. But you're projecting onto that person a mom that they don't have. They don't have your mom. They have their mom. And so you could, you could be, not necessarily always, but you could be judging them because they're in a different situation than you would be if you were in their situation as you. So can we start off by admitting this is all real? This really happens? Yes. Okay, so what I want to do is I just want you to hang on to these thoughts for just a little second. 
Um, and by a little second, I mean maybe 15 minutes. And then I want to um, teach you something from the Bible. Today I want to teach you um, quite a bit of what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. That's the topic I want to cover. I want to talk about spiritual gifts, and then after I've explained to you some of what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, I want to come back to these ideas. But let's first go to the Bible. First Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, please go to First Peter chapter 4. I'm going to start reading verses 8 through 10. This is the word of God. This is also written by Peter to these Christians, and this is what he says. He says, above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. I'll go ahead and stop there. So the passage starts off helpfully because it says that what the Christians are supposed to do with each other is they're supposed to maintain an intense love for each other. So this helps to answer a question that I just assumed the answer earlier on in the sermon. Remember earlier on the sermon I said, I want to talk to you about two issues that have the potential to threaten Christian unity. I kind of just assumed that you agreed with me that we don't want to threaten Christian unity, but we probably should answer that question. Why do Christians need to be unified? Why do we need to be united? Like, why can't we just all splinter off into a million different directions? Why can't we all just be separate from one another and we just each do our own thing and we don't really have to care about each other? Why don't we do it that way? And so first thing is because God has told us to maintain an intense love for each other. There's an obligation we have to each other that we can't just splinter off into a thousand directions. Of course we don't want our unity to be threatened because God has caused us to be in each other. An intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. And then the next verse is the one I really want to focus on. It says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. Now, you learn a lot from that one verse. First of all, one of the things you can learn right away is apparently everybody has a gift. Everybody receives a gift. Now, how I know that is because it says, based on the gift each one has received. So this, the assumption is that everybody's got a gift. I don't know if it's every Christian or every person, but, that, but he's writing to Christians and he's saying, hey, everybody has a gift, right? Based on the gift each one has received. Received from who? Anybody want to take a guess? God, very good. I only ask easy questions. Never want to embarrass you. God is the one that gives the gifts, right? That's the, you know that if the verse doesn't specifically say it, well, yeah, it kind of does. And then the rest of the Bible says it too. All right, so every person has received a gift from God right? And the word gift here is related to the word grace. It's a word that means the thing that you get is undeserved or unearned, right? That's what a gift is. And in fact, that's what it means in English, like the word gift. We use it to mean when you receive something that you did not, you didn't pay for it, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. Some of they, we would call it payment, right? If, if you had earned it, but we don't call it payment. We say it's a gift because you didn't pay for it. So, so the passage is saying everybody has, has a gift, and apparently everybody has a gift that's been given to them by God not because they're awesome, but because God's nice, right? That God gives every single person stuff that they have not earned, they have not deserved. Everybody in this room has some things that God has graced you with, right? He has gifted you. He gave it to you. You didn't pay for it. You didn't deserve it. He's just nice and gave us things we do not deserve. So based on the gift each one has received, now what are we supposed to do? If everybody's been given this grace, if everybody has been given this, I didn't deserve it, but God gave it to me anyway, what are we supposed to do with it? You're supposed to use it to serve others. Why? Why can't we all just serve ourselves? Especially if each one has a gift. I mean, why do I need to share my gift with other people? They got a gift. Why can't I do my thing with my gift and they do their thing with their gift, right? If God went along and scooped out some gift and gave it to everybody, 
then why can't I just use my gift to serve me and you use your gift to serve you and we all just mind our own business? Well, I think there's probably multiple answers to that question. One goes back to verse 8, because we are supposed to maintain an intense love for each other. If we're all allowed to just do our own thing and who cares about each other, then we'll all just use our gift for ourselves. But if we're obligated to one another, if I'm supposed to love you and you're supposed to love me, then I'm going to have to share my gift with you and you're going to have to share your gift with me. The other thing that is implied in this passage and really clear in other Bible passages is that we don't all have the same gift. See, it would make sense if God made the exact same shape gift. This is exactly what it looks like. This is what color it is. This is what shape it is. And then he gives every single person. He made 300 million of them. They all look the same. And he just passes them out to everybody. Then we could go, well, why do I got to share my stuff? Because they got the same thing. But they don't have the same thing. Because look, it says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the, what kind of grace of God? The varied grace of God. So apparently God doesn't pump out 300 million of them and pass out every, the same thing to everybody. No, he gets something that's different than what she got. And she gets something that's different than what he got. We don't all have the same gift. So the reason we have to serve each other is because some of what I need in order to do what God's called me to do is actually with you. You have it. And some of what you need to do what God's called you to do, I have it. And we have to serve each other. There's not just we all have the same gift. We all have different gifts and we have to come together with one another each of us sharing with each other what the other person doesn't have so that we are complete as a whole. Now that's 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. I want to show you two other passages. So now we go to Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible, flip back to Romans now. All of these passages are about spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4. It says this, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Romans 12, 4 and 5. So this passage, um, well, first of all, we got a metaphor here, right? It says, as we have many parts in one body and they don't all have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. So we've got the church of Jesus Christ being compared to a human body, right? And the human body has different functions, In fact, that's the word that's used here, right? All of the parts do not have the same function. Right here, in this particular case, the word function is being used similar to the word gift in the other passage. This passage doesn't use the word gift, it uses the word function. Actually, this passage does use the word gift in the very next verse. But at this point, it uses the word function because it's not talking about people, it's talking about body parts. So eyes don't do what ears do, and hands don't do what feet do, right? And in one say, we could say, like, the eyes are gifted with vision, right? and the hands are gifted with touching, and the ears are gifted with hearing. But instead of using the word gifted, he uses the more appropriate word function, right? The eye doesn't have the same function as the ear. The nose doesn't have the same function as the hands, right? So there's many parts, but all the parts have different functions, right? They do not all have the same function. And then it says, that's what we're like. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. Which, this also, remember the question I said, why should we even have Christian unity? Here it is. Because we who are many are one body in Christ. That's why we should care about things that threaten Christian unity, because we are many, but we're supposed to be one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Like different body parts all in the same body. So it's easy to kind of think of um, sort of just the metaphor that eyes do different things than hands do. But once he moves to the next verse, he starts using the word gift and he starts talking more literally instead of talking about a, a, a body. And body parts. So he's saying, that, hey, we are Christians and we're like body parts in a body. But then verse six, he says this. 
according to the, what's the word? Grace given to us, we have different, what's the word? Gifts. So very similar to 1 Peter, right? This is grace that God has given us, and the form of the grace is gifts. And we have to notice the gifts are what? Different gifts. Not everybody got the same grace. Not everybody got the same different gifts. But instead of talking about eyes and ears and noses, he starts talking about like the actual things that people do. So he says, according to the grace given us, we have different gifts. So this is what you're supposed to do with your gift. He says, if prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service in service, if teaching, in teaching, if exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So this is pretty simple here. He's saying the way that you're supposed to handle the different gifts that have been given to you is the teachers are supposed to teach, and the servers are supposed to serve, and the leaders are supposed to lead, and the givers are supposed to give, right? Pretty simple verse. Now I want to show you one other one. And this one is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This will be our final passage for the morning. All of these passages are helpful because all of them sort of say the same thing and then all of them say something different than the other one. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And what you're going to notice here is you've got a really similar concept. This is the same guy talking, the Apostle Paul. He's talking to a different group of people. Okay? He's talking to a different group of Christians. Instead of talking to the Romans, he's talking to the Corinthians. But he's basically talking about the same topic. So he says... For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's just like what he said in Romans, right? Very similar to what he said in Romans. And he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. So again, he answers the question, why should we be unified? Why does it matter if Christians are united? Why can't we splinter off? Because we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So it doesn't matter. We are all one thing, even if we're different ethnicities, even if we're different socioeconomic statuses, right? I think that's what he means by whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free. None of that stuff matters anymore. We have all become one body. We were all made to drink of one spirit. We're all one thing now. Now that God has saved us, he's made us his, his body. So then he goes on with the metaphor. So next verse. Uh, this is verse 15. If the foot, because he said all the, you know, all the many parts. Now he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. Now, feet don't talk. And I'm telling you, Paul knows that, okay? Paul knew that feet don't talk. This is, this is an illustration. He's personifying the foot here because, because he's comparing it to us. So he's saying, if there was a foot that could talk, and if the talking foot said, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm nothing, right? I'm not even a part of this body. Paul would say, that foot would be wrong. Talking foot would be incorrect if he said that he's not a part of the body because he's not a hand. Keeps going. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it would still belong to the body, right? The ear doesn't get to complain that it's not an eye. It's got its own job to do, its own function, its own gift, right? Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? That's a good question, isn't it? If, the, if, if, the whole, if every body part all did the same thing, that'd be a messed up body. You'd have a body that like sees really good and can't do anything else, right? If, it was just, if you were just a collection of eyes, you can tell he's saying it is a blessing 
that all of the body parts have a different function. It would, be, it would be dysfunctional if all of the body parts had the same function. If they all had the same gift, that'd be terrible. Uh, if, the whole body, uh, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Feet don't do what hands do and eyes don't do what ears do. So what you see here is you see the same metaphor from the book of Romans, but in Romans, it was just one sentence, right? But in Corinthians, he took this one sentence about body and made it into a whole big long paragraph about the different body parts and how it relates to different Christians, right? And so when you take these passages together, what you can see is God has given each person a gift to be used for the rest of the body so that we would love each other and work together. So with all of that established as clearly the teaching of the Bible, I'd like to now go back to the chart that we began with. So I want us to think about category one, when others have something you don't. Now what we realize this, if you're, if you're a particular body part in God's body, then there are going to be other people that are different than you, right? They're a different body part than you. They have a different function than you. When others have something you don't would mean that there are gifts that other people have that you don't, right? Because we all have different gifts. And so what I want to do is I want to put a verse along with the ideas of category one. So if I could put, this is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the passage I just read to you, okay? And here's the verse. It's the part where Paul says, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. To me, that's what I think he's talking about. When, he, when, when he's saying that someone says, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that is someone talking about others have something that I don't. And you could tell that the, the, the way it's written, the, the one who's not, who, does, who is not an eye, which I think it's an ear in the passage, the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It, it sounds like, almost like the ear wishes he were an eye, right? Like, oh, I, I'm not an eye, so I'm not important. I'm not even part of the body, right? So Paul is saying this is a problem. Like in context, he doesn't say like, oh, isn't it great? No, he's saying if, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, it does not belong to the body, he says, the ear's wrong when it says that, okay? That is not good. That is a wrong way to react to when others have something you don't. Okay, now let's talk about when you have something others don't. That is, you have a gift that God has graced you with and other people don't have that gift. And what are you supposed to do? So here's the verse I want to connect it to. It's, a, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the part where it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So you can see at this point of the passage, it's the opposite problem of this one, right? This one's an ear going like, oh, I wish I was an eye. Okay, but I'm not an eye, so I'm not important. And here we have the exact opposite problem. We got a prideful eye here, don't we? We got an eye going like, I don't even need the rest of the Bible. When it comes to vision, <laughs> I'm doing good on my own. And, and Mr. Hand, he doesn't ever see anything. <laughs> what a loser. I don't need him. The eye cannot, but, but, but Paul says, no, that's not the way the eye is supposed to say. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand does its thing. It's got its function. It's got its gift. But what we can do is we can be like the eye that says to the hand, I don't need you. When you have something others don't, you can sometimes go, why don't they see what I see? We project that onto them and go, well, they don't matter. I don't need them. So you see how this is, these are like, Biblical categories here. So now I want to talk about what it looks like in real life because it's easy to talk about it abstract. It's easy to talk about metaphorically and eyes and stuff. 
What does it look like when others have something you don't and you're jealous and insecurity with their gifts or when you have something others don't and you're projecting onto them and you're judgmental? So let's start with jealousy and insecurity. Here's what I think it looks like. When other people have a gift you don't, it looks like this. I'm not good with words like pastor so-and-so. I'm not good at like explaining Bible stuff like counselor so-and-so or like Sunday school teacher so-and-so. They're really good at explaining the Bible, not me. So I guess I'm a bad Christian. You ever heard that? It could be. It could be you're a bad Christian. (laughs) But it could be that they're a teacher and you're not. And that that's fine. Here's another example. Maybe some of you will relate to this one. You say, I'm not good at comforting people. Like people have like difficult, like they're grieving and they're crying and I'm just standing there awkwardly and I don't know. And maybe, have you had this happen? There's someone in your community group and something genuinely terrible happened. Their mom died or their dad died or something terrible happened to one of their children. And there you are and and they're, they're weeping and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't know how, I can't artificially weep, but I'm sad you're weeping, but I don't know, like, and I just feel awkward, and should I, should I leave, because I, maybe I'm making it worse, it seems like she cried harder once I walked in, so maybe <laughs> I'm making it worse, and so then I, we'll try, I'll try like a side hug, no, that didn't, that didn't fix anything, that was weird, I think they regret that, and then, and so you're sitting there going, I'm, ju- I'm just not good at comforting these people, and then, this is, this is what's worse, then someone else from your community group shows up with a casserole, and she shows up and she's like weeping with the person and crying. Here's the casserole and here's a list of verses I've been praying for you ever since I found out. And then you're over here watching that going like, oh, <laughs> that's a good Christian. I'm a terrible Christian, right? Have you been in that situation? Now, here's the thing. It could be. It could be you're a terrible Christian. Entirely possible. But it, but it could be that that person has the gift of compassion and you don't. Okay, now let's talk, so that's jealousy and insecurity. Let's go ahead and talk about when you have something that others don't, right? You project onto them, why, why aren't they like me, right? Let, let's say you're someone, so we'll talk about this. Let's say you're someone who is gifted administratively and you walk into some church event somewhere and you just look around and you go like, goodness, it looks like no one's in charge around here. What is this? It seems like chaos to me. This is awful, Right? It's like no one even took 30 seconds to think about what it would be like for a new person walking in, right? And garbage cans are overflowing. Like, this is awful, right? Goodness, why, why is no one fixing this? It's an obvious problem. You know, if I were in charge, have you ever done that? If I were in charge, this whole thing would be different than it is right now, right? But apparently, I take Jesus seriously. They don't. But I mean, if I did a Jesus event, I would make it good for Jesus. They don't even, obviously, they don't even love him. Because look at this. Look how awful this is. And here's the thing. It might be that they don't love Jesus, but it could be that you have more of a leadership gifting than they do. And you're, and you're expecting them to do what you would do in that situation. Here's another one that happens. Um, church event is over. Now people are cleaning up. Okay, and there you are, and you're washing the dishes and putting the stuff back where it goes, and you're watching other people just walk out of the church unencumbered. Okay, they're just walking out, and you're sitting there going, "Why aren't? Why don't they stay and clean up like me, like me and the holy people? Like why, why? They're just walking off. I don't even understand these people walking off while I'm sitting here serving. What are the wrong with these people? Right? They are not good Christians. Right? 
We all ate the same donuts, okay? We were, all to, we were all together at that point. But then when it's time to clean up, they're walking off, right? And what do they think? They think all the plates just magically march themselves over to the sink and wash themselves? No, humans have to do that. And you're washing a dish going, well, why? Why aren't they doing what I'm doing, right? They must not be good Christians. Maybe they're not good Christians. Or maybe you're a server and they're not. Maybe one of those people walking out the door not washing a dish is going and comforting a grieving person right now while you're washing that dish. So can you see how understanding that God, when you understand the varied grace of God, when you understand the, and he gave each body part its own function, when you understand that he gave different gifts, can you see how, like, how practical this is, how it could lead to this, and why we need to be like, on guard about this? Why, can, can you see how understanding this could help us with the issue of jealousy and with the issue of judgmentalism. Just, just knowing this could help us, couldn't it? So that is what I wanted to tell you today. That was the message that I thought, I'd like to tell them that, and I don't need, I don't need to talk about it for seven weeks. I think I could just say it one time. I will admit this is not the most important message in the whole world. The gospel is the most important message in the whole world that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, that you are to repent of your sins and believe in him and trust in him. That is the most important message in the world. We try to be so clear about that around here. But the message I'm giving you this morning is not unrelated to that. It's, um, it's a consequence of the gospel. Like if, if it's true that Jesus Christ died on the cross for multiple people, and if he died on the cross so that those multiple people would become one thing, they would share one spirit, they would, have, they would be one body. If that's true, that, G, that, that within the gospel, Jesus died on the cross to make the many one for him, then everything we're talking about today is very related to the gospel. We need to live in light of the gospel. So I would like to end this sermon with a warning. I believe there is a wrong way to take this sermon. Um, I, actually, I think there, there might be a wrong way to take every sermon, okay? Because humans are sinful and we just ruin just about everything. But let me give you an example of a, ruining a, a perfectly good sermon. A, a preacher could get up and preach a sermon on the topic of working hard, okay? And they could be a faithful, like biblical preacher preaching what the Bible says about the importance of working hard. And that preacher could preach on that topic and he could preach out of the book of Proverbs, and talk about working hard. He could, preach about, uh, he could preach from 2 Thessalonians and talk about working hard. He could talk about Colossians or Ephesians and preach about working hard. But just imagine, there's a, the, you could have a preacher who preaches faithfully any of those books of the Bible and talks about the importance of working hard. And then in that congregation is a workaholic. And they go, mm, yes, pastor. <laughs> and they use a perfectly faithful biblical sermon to justify disordered priorities they already had. And they're sitting there and, and they are, per oh, mm, good, good sermon, pastor. That was great. And they use a, a faithful biblical sermon to justify why their career is above their God and why their career is above their family. So you can take a sermon the wrong way. And so here are my worries with this sermon. I wrote down two. And here are my worries with this sermon. Number one, that this, if you take it in a different way than I meant it, it can be an excuse to not grow and to serve God less. 
that you can take what this teaching is about spiritual gifts and go, okay, well, I don't need to get good at the stuff I'm not already good at because other people are gifted at that. And so I don't need to ever grow and get better in new situations. And I don't need to serve God in all these situations. Like there's, you know, when, when the church says they need help or when someone says they need help, I just go like, mm, sorry, not my gift. Pastor told me different people, different gifts, different functions, not my function, right? I will let you know. I took a spiritual gifts, gifts test one time. And it said I was low in compassion. It, um, that was like of all the giftings that it tested for, um, it said that compassion was like the least likely one that I had, okay? Like if you're guessing which one you have, don't guess compassion. You don't have that one. <coughs> and, and that may be true about me. But here's the thing. When people are grieving, I still need to care. When tragedy comes into someone's life, I do not get to like print out the, like, the, the spiritual gifts test results and say to them, like, hey, look at this, not my jam. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're having a rough time, but it's not my, like, I don't, I can't, I can't care for you. I look at my compassion points. It was nearly zero. Okay. I just, I can't care about you. It's not my, it's not my thing. No, I need to care about that person. I need to, now here's the thing. I may show up and I may not be the best person in the room comforting them but I better be the best me that I can be in that room. And this happens all the time. In fact, let me go back to the body metaphor. Have you ever been in a situation where both of your hands were full and so you had to use your foot to, for something you'd usually use your hand for? That happens in the body of Christ as well. There are times where you need to do something that you're not particularly good at because you're the one that's there. Amen? So that's the first thing. This whole, not my gifting, I don't have to do anything. That's first, my first worry. Here's my second worry. This sermon also was not, meant to me, was not meant to communicate that everyone is beyond correction. I think it'd be real easy to take a sermon like this and anytime somebody does something wrong, you can just like pff, baptize it in. Like that's not their gifting. Okay, so here we all, we're all playing basketball together and yes, he just cussed us out, but he, he doesn't have the gift of mercy. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm sorry he punched you in the face, but he doesn't, have, he doesn't have the gift of compassion. So it's no big deal. No, it is. It's a sin. Okay? And it's assault, right? <laughs> it's not, oh, he doesn't have that gift. Let's say someone's been a Christian for 20 years and they go, I don't, I, I guess I, I, I haven't ever shared the gospel with my, whatever, my family members, my spouse. I don't really know how to share the gospel with my spouse. I don't think that's the moment to go, well, you just don't have the gift of teaching. That's fine. No, you say, you've been a Christian for 20 years. You should be able to explain what God has done in your life and explain a little bit about Jesus to the people in your family. You need to be equipped for that. So obviously this sermon could be misapplied, but I guess I am willing to risk that in order to warn you that gift jealousy and gift judgmentalism are real pitfalls for Christians. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Why am I not like her? Why am I not like her? And why is she not like me? Why is she not like me? Oh, I see it all the time. And we have to beware. And so I believe that it's my job this morning to present these categories to you. It's your job to now figure out how to apply them in your life, right? I'm trusting that you, with the help of the body of Christ and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to figure out how these categories apply to the situations in your life. Also, today would be a good day to praise God for the gifts that he has given you. Thanks for listening. Let's pray.
God, we praise you and we worship you, we exalt you for giving us gifts that we do not deserve. We thank you for them now. We praise you for them at this time. In fact, I'm just going to be quiet for like 30 seconds so you can praise God in like an individual way, just quietly from your seat. We praise you for what you've given to us. And so now we ask you, in our congregation, would you please help us to root out jealousy and to root out judgmentalism? God, I pray if there's anything in this sermon that's just simply of me, that it would be quickly forgotten but I pray that which is of you would be remembered and that you would keep using it in the life of this church and in the life of these people for a long, long time. Thank you for saving us and then making us your body. We praise you for your grace and the gospel and Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.